Welcome to the September episode of Jazz Talk Northwest. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And today we're really excited to have a special guest with us named Jeff Johnson. He is a bassist and fantastic musician from uh, originally from the Twin Cities, right? Yes, Minneapolis. Yeah. And he's been living out here for a while. And uh, we thought it would be really cool to bring him in and just kind of talk about jazz and ask him some questions and and hang a little bit. So yeah. So Jeff, I guess I'll, I'll just dive right in. Um, I'm a drummer, and uh, you played with Philly Joe Jones for a while, who is a, a quite a famous uh, jazz drummer. And uh, I'm just going to start off by asking how, how that happened and what that was like. How that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back in the early 70s, I guess it was probably 1974, I started playing with a drummer named Paul Lagos, had, who had moved up there from L.A. Okay. And Paul had studied with Joe and kind of become friends with him. So he and Philly Joe were kind of buddies whenever Joe would get out on the West Coast, get down to L.A., he would look up Paul, and they would hang, you know. So Paul sort of knew him, and I was over at Paul's house one night in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he, he said, I'm going to call Philly Joe on the phone. And I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah right, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and he said, no, really, I'm going to call him up. So he got him on the phone, and he was talking to him for a while, and Joe happened to mention that he was looking for some cheap musicians. <laughs> and he... He said, I got a cheap bass player right here. Well, I was like 20 years old then, okay. you know. And, and a couple minutes went by, and, and then Paul handed me the phone, put me on the phone with Philly Joe. And Joe says, Paul kind of recommends you. Uh, would you be interested in coming out and playing some gigs and seeing how it works? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so time went by, a couple weeks went by, two or three weeks maybe, and then this other guy came out to a, a gig that I was playing with Paul, with that, with that drummer, and he said, Philly Joe sent me out to listen to you. Well, this guy wasn't a musician. He was a doctor or something. He was just a friend, you know, some, an acquaintance of Joe's. But he came out, you know. And then the next day, the phone rang, and, he, and Joe said, can you be in Philadelphia next week? And I said, yeah, yeah. So that's how it happened. Strictly... That is so cool. Strictly by accident, you know what I mean? Nothing, nothing earned. Right place nothing, at the right time. Just the right place at the right yeah. time, a freak thing. How long did you end up playing with him for? Well, I went out there and stayed with him in Philadelphia for a few months. And then that, that carried on in Philly until uh, we did a couple gigs in New York. And then I moved up to New York uh, a few months later. So it was part of, it was 75, fall of 75 maybe, latter part of that year. And a lot of 76 that I was out there doing that stuff. Wow. Well, that's cool. What was that like? Well, it was Joe's band. Joe, Joe's band was, uh, he called it Le Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. So that was what he had whenever he was going to put something out on the road or take something around to some smaller clubs. He was always getting called to play with you know, bigger cats, yeah. heavier names, you know, that kind of thing. But when he put his Le Grand Prix together, I was the bass player for that period of time, cool. you know. And uh, playing, with, playing with Philly Joe Jones, well, just being around him at my age at the time was like a magical experience. But I'll just bet. watching him, watching him, how he carried on, how he dealt with things, how he walked, how he talked... Philly Joe was a true jazz star. 
How old was he when you were playing with him? He was in his 50s. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I know how Philly Joe plays with a lot of the other, you know, bigger name people, but what was his own group like? Well, it would vary a lot. Yeah. It would vary a lot. The first night I played with him, Hank Mobley was on the band. Oh, okay. Not bad. But (laughs) Hank only played a couple of tunes and went to the bar. And then he never showed up again. <laughs> so it was it was a myriad of different musicians. You know, it, it, I, it would take a while to list all the players. Right, right. Some There was a different form of Le Grand Prix kind of every time we got put it together to go out. That kind of thing still happens today, I suppose. Yeah. So all of that was going down in New York, right? Philadelphia, Philadelphia. And, and, and then New York. And then New York. Yeah. Uh, at what point did you move to Seattle? Seattle was an interesting thing to discover. Uh, I first realized or started thinking about Seattle when I was in Oklahoma City in 1980s, in the middle of the 80s. I was telling you guys, I had a radio show, a volunteer. Oh, I was a volunteer uh, DJ at a radio station in Oklahoma City. And I had a Monday night show called Blue Monday. You know. Wait, 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 pause for one second. How did you end up in Oklahoma City? Well, I thought we were just in Philly. <laughs> all right, we should, if we really want to know, we need to know the the entire uh, wanderer path. You know, when I <laughs> okay. left New York, I went back home, fixed myself up a little bit personally, and then I just kind of hit the road for several towns, trying to follow work around. Like my friend called me, said, "You want to go to Atlanta?" I said, "Yeah, okay." So I went down to Atlanta for about a year, and then I ended up down in Florida. Hmm. Uh, and I ended up working on some cruise ships for a while to do the gigs, okay, you know, yeah. out of Miami. And then from there, uh, I went to Texas and Oklahoma. Wow. Which during the 80s, my wife and I kind of moved back and forth between Texas and California or Oklahoma <laughs> and California. So everything was happening like a year at a time. I'd get Holy a gig cow. for a year in San Diego. OK, I'm there. And then, and then we leave and come back, be in L.A. for a little while, come back to Texas or Oklahoma. So there was a lot of travel all around the country during that time. Wow. So this was a particular time when I was in Oklahoma City cool. doing okay. this radio show, volunteer thing. Cool. You know. Right on. Yeah. And, we'll continue. Uh, and Jim Wilkie, who we all know and love, mm-hmm. uh, had a syndicated program, a jazz program. Uh, I forget what exactly it wasn't called Jazz Northwest. It was something else, and I can't recall it. I'd have to listen to the tapes again because I taped them all the time. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, I knew he was from Seattle, and he had a way of talking about things and speaking about things that made it seem like Seattle must be kind of hip, <laughs> you know. So I wrote him a letter at one point and just said who I was. You know, I sent him my my album, my first album that I had, and introduced myself and I asked Jim you know what did, what would Seattle be like for someone like me and he just he sent me some stuff the year shot he sent me some you know magazines wow. local magazines and stuff and so you know uh, Marcy she worked for the government my wife and and she could transfer places you know within the government so she I, I said let's go west you know so she put in for San Francisco Portland and Seattle and a job came open for her in Seattle. And I thought, great, great. That's, that's the Jim Wilkie connection. Mm. So I didn't know anyone at all here. Wow. Other than Jim. That's awesome. Just from the radio. And Jim is amazing. He's still, still as amazing. Yeah, he's a beautiful, beautiful guy. I, I, wow. love, I love him. 
That's so cool. Yeah, I was, um, I'm sure you've heard about how he recorded all those concerts at the penthouse and everything through the phone line. And yep. He's kind of a, a wizard in many uh, ways. He's a historian, you know. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a few, there have been a few, but not that many. Yeah. You know, so Jim is, is some kind of resource, man. He's, yeah. He yeah. recorded the most recent trio album I'm on as well. Yeah. Cool guy. Yeah, he is. Very great. It's a lot of traveling. Yeah. What was it like trying to maintain a presence in scenes, like as you're bouncing between city to city to city? Uh, it was it was weird. I mean, you know, but it was life. It was cheaper to do that kind of thing back then, too. Hmm. You know, like the rents weren't, you know, three thousand dollars a month. Sure. You know, you could get a place for three or four hundred bucks and not and not sign a lease and just stay there for a little while. So, you know, it was doable if I had work. Right. You know, so I was following work. Somebody called me from such and such a place. Like, hey, you want to do you want to do nine months? You want to do a year at the Porthole Lounge in San Diego? OK, I'm there. You they had year long gigs at lounges. They when I came up, that was uh, uh, there was a lot more work. You guys, I'm sorry about that for you guys. <laughs> I really am because there was a lot of work. A lot of the hotels had live music. We weren't always playing, you know, like hardcore jazz. But right. we were playing jazz-related music or pop music that we were giving a jazz flavor to. There's, there's still quite a bit of, of work out there. There yeah, is. If you, Seattle's but pretty... it's, you have to be more creative to find you it. You do, yeah. It was, there was a lot of work. Hmm. Every hotel had, had wow. live music, you know, all around town. I guess it was just one of those things that was expected, you know, in mm -hmm. the business. And then as people filtered away from it, you know, others were saying, hey, we don't need music. <laughs> Let's just get Muzak. So I you know, have a question. Yeah. Do you use any streaming services? Uh, no, I don't know how to do any of that. You know, that's so I'm, cool. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> I, I'm an admitted dinosaur. No, that's awesome. I, I was, I was, that's why I asked. Yeah. No, I don't have Facebook or anything. You know, somebody know, asked yeah. me about that. And I said, well, I try to be around people that have Facebook all the time. <laughs> so I'm included but I just I can't I for me it's 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 like so much to just get at what I try to do just get at practicing my bass that I don't really like to take the time I do email and all that but yeah I try to keep that minimized and, and part of it is just my uh, my generation we're just not used to that like some things come up and I just start to know how to use it and then it becomes obsolete and then there's another learning curve <laughs> Which I don't understand, and my grandson does. My my wife's grandson does understand it, and I don't. So naturally, some people in my generation, you know, not everyone, but a lot of us are reticent. You know, it's nothing against it. It's a pretty. I see the power of it. I see the power of it. Well, for better or for worse, maybe. See, this is one way I can get in on it, being here with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we are on the internet. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yep. Just like the, the independent radio kind of thing now, I guess. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You it's got your own voice. So while we were hanging out before we started the session, you told me an amazing story about some time you spent in Bosnia. Would you mind telling that story again so that we could share that? Well, I think we were talking about, you know, like... Uh, the effect of music, you know, the effect for me, it's about the effect of music on others. You know, it's like the, I feel honored to be a musician because my mission is not to be, 
not to bring a political message necessarily, maybe a just message, you know, in that what we do as jazz musicians involves a high level of freedom. And, you know, so I'm bringing an example of what freedom can mean when I play music. And we were in, uh, I guess it's Bosnia, I don't know. It had gotten all divided up. It was Yugoslavia before. That's how I knew it. Mm-hmm. But we were playing this? in Zagreb. And this was in the 90s, right after the, the war that was going on over mm-hmm. there. And so we had a UN escort that brought us to our hotel in Zagreb. And we, wow. were, we were advised, mm-hmm. as I said, not to walk around by ourselves at night. And I was walking with another one of the musicians speaking English during the day one day. And a guy came over to me and, and he said, fucking Americans. And he spit directly into my face. And, and I, I stood aback and I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, I'm an American. You're right. I said, I know what you don't like about America. I know exactly what you mean. You know, a lot of people view us as the imperial dark power you know, with our hands in everything and we're meddling with your life and we're meddling over here and this and that. But I said, I came here for something different. And I pulled out a handbill for the club we were playing at, you know, the next night. And I said, please come to hear this music, you know. And I didn't really think the guy would show up. But he did. He brought his wife. He came and showed up with his wife. And by the end of the night, I talked to him a little bit on the break he was my sole attention that night, Hmm. you know, was thank you for coming, you know, and, and, you know, he was still kind of standoffish at the end of the night. We both had tears in our eyes and we were hugging, you know? So it was like, that was it. That, that was one of those things that's inside me that says, this is my, this is what's important that I do. It's not so much the notes. It's not how fast I can play or how many odd meters I can play. It's how I reach other humans you know so that stuff changed my whole view of what it is to be an american and what it is to be a jazz musician you know it changed the way i wanted to play even i don't want to disguise it i don't want to make people work too hard to go looking for it i want them to hear me so it was one of those big lessons i'll never forget it was one of the hugest moments of my life making a bridge to that one man you know, that is so cool. And hopefully a domino effect after that, you know, of some sort. Wow. Yeah. That was great. A great feeling. Hmm. Yeah. Being a jazz musician in, in different countries is quite a strange thing, but it's pretty cool. Like if you're going to travel abroad as an American, it's pretty much one of the best th- reasons you can have for being in a different place. Honestly, it's amazed me how many times we were treated so well. Mm-hmm. like beyond well people you know, love jazz very musicians. much with very much care mm-hmm. and you know when you when you're used to playing in the states which is you know i got nothing against it i live here and this is why i make art is because of my life in the states but you know we're not used to being treated that well here so that's shocking almost when you go over there you yeah, know i was just in india in february and it was I didn't have anything like that happen, but it was pretty crazy how we were treated so well. It was mm-hmm. wild. Yeah. People are basically the same everywhere, I think. Mm-hmm. They may have different different patterns, different cultural you know, deviations and stuff like that. But basically, we all want the same thing, a good life, a happy life, a safe life, you know where we would we would treat others like we would like to be treated. You know, I think the whole world forgets that that's the easiest rule, you know. 
how do you want <laughs> you know emulate how you want to be treated mm-hmm. you know treat somebody like you would treat yourself if everybody did that i don't think we'd have any argument i think you're right that ain't gonna happen <laughs> but it can happen on individual levels jeff for and... president <laughs> no, no don't do that to me <laughs> well switching gears just a little bit um we've talked about joe philly joe and, and everything what uh are a couple of your other favorite performance experiences or playing experiences throughout your career so far I mean, you, your list of, of uh, people you've played with is pretty long, so... It is, and a lot of times, you know, like you, when, you're, when you're compiling your list of, you know, for your resume, a lot of those things are one night, right. some of those things are four nights, you know. Very true. It's not, it's not <laughs> like you're on the road with, with people and developing something intense, but it works good for uh, publicity and that mm-hmm. those kind of purposes to have been on the bandstand with certain people. Yeah. So I try not to make too big a deal out of some of the people I've played with if they weren't if they were relatively short time. Are there you any know. fun stories or but anything? The main the main stuff that that started happening to me after my life sort of collected itself in the in the uh, in the early '80s, I made my own album. And uh, when I came up here, I met uh, two people, Jessica Williams, the pianist Jessica mm, Williams mm-hmm. in the 90s, and Hal Galper, mm. two piano players, two totally disparate styles, yeah. uh, you know, backgrounds, the works. I mean, you know, East Coast, West Coast. It was very interesting. Although Jessica was from Baltimore, she equated to West Coast more to me, San Francisco mm. type of thing than, than Hal, New York. You know, so I was touring in tandem with both of those groups for a long time during the 90s. And this these were situations where we really had the opportunity to develop a sound together. That was the best part of that. They may not have been the most famous people on Earth, but we were after something and we were talking about it and we were able to document it, you know, musically. So. Uh, those two experiences since 1990 have been the major highlights of my life, particularly with Hal, because, well, it was just up to the fall of 2016 was the last time we toured with uh, Jerry Braganzi. But I started with him in like 1994. Mm. And during that time, we went from playing music that was hugely arranged, almost like uh, early Ama Jamal, you know, where there was turn on a dime, this and mm-hmm. that, very specific arrangements, accord every beat in some sections and that kind of thing. Very complex. I think I've played a couple of those arrangements, actually. <laughs> you possibly have. You know, head scratches, some of them, yeah. you know. But uh, over the years, you know, gradually we opened up the music more and more. We opened it up. And Hal, who's 80 years old now and possibly retiring, he's had mm. some issues, you know, where the kind of issues that make it tough for somebody to come out on the road. Um, for him, he to me, he was the bravest man I ever worked with. You know, he was not a household word. He was not hunting for fame. You know, he was not looking to have his picture on the front of magazines, although it should have been, I think. But he was after the music. It was totally about the music with him. And uh, I've never been with anybody quite like that, you know. So we went from from very very structured to open, 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 open to where we kind of described it as rubato is what Hal called it from 2005 on when John Bishop joined the group. 
who is what's the most recent record you guys did i've listened to it but i forget what it's called well our most recent one is uh is called uh, cubist and that's, and right. that's with jerry berganzi so he joined us in that way that we play on that record so that was that's the last one we did uh, uh, we recorded that in 2016 and that came out last year we've got a couple other things in the can trio i think we're going to try and put out but very cool but yeah, that, that band, as far as exploring, I tell people I went the farthest in that band. I said, we, had, we got outside the spacecraft and cut the line, <laughs> literally cut the tether. You know, I've never experienced that. And my ears had to be so good because we, we used the harmony to tell us where we were in the song, not the bar lines or the form. We weren't counting eight mm-hmm. measures we're using the harmony and blending the harmony into itself, sometimes speeding it up, sometimes slowing it down, sometimes doing it over again. So I always had to be ready to, for the unexpected, you know. Yep. And it was, the mo- it was the finest training that I've ever had in my life. I don't know where I'll ever use all that again. But it super made me aware of what, how important it is for people to listen to each other. And listening involves, you know, different levels of awareness, you know, I remember when I was young, I thought, well, yeah, I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. But I didn't know what to listen to or for all the time. You know, and then gradually I thought, OK, OK, I, I, I got to contrast this. I have to, you know, when I first joined Hal, I would, he'd play a figure and I'd shoot it back at him and smile, you know. And he hated that. And I thought he would love that, you know. He'd say, man, get out of my idea. Get your own idea, man. That's mine. You contrast that. And it made me realize, oh, okay, that's, that's not cool, you know. Everybody doing the same thing. You know how sometimes it can happen. You get a rhythmic figure go, and everybody starts doing the same rhythmic figure. Well, how would he would have your throat by the throat? He'd say, "No, man, you contrast that." You it's know, like being in a circle of people and everyone says, "Hey, how's it going?" And then the next person says, "Hey, how's it going?" The next person says, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> exactly. And then no exactly. one says anything. <laughs> I, you know, I thought I it, little things like that as they occurred to me over my life made me realize new awarenesses, and we all find them. We can't have them overnight. They come from our experiences, you know. But we should always be open to being aware of something new, you know. Something, Definitely. something to be, to be, something has been re- that hasn't been revealed to us before. It sounds like that group kind of followed the same path as like a Wayne Wayne Shorter or Miles Davis or uh, along those, those lines because those and then ended up those were of, huge influences. Yeah. For me, in particular, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Miles Davis's band from from the early days, um, you know, we followed them from from the quintets, you know, mm-hmm. uh, into the Bitches Brew and mm-hmm. and this whole other thing that opened up. And most of my influence are people that have played with Miles. You know, it's something that like Keith Jarrett, I first heard him with Miles, you know, and then I got into Keith Jarrett. You know, that kind of thing. We were talking about that earlier. What opens up where you want to go and listen, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Wayne, all those, all those cats, Herbie, you know, we followed everybody that came out of that basic, like, school, Miles' school of music. His was, was like Art Blakey's, in a way, but different. Different. Right. They went another direction with their music. So that was the most uh, 
I loved it because it still swung like mad. There was a lot of random sort of avant-garde, abstract things going on in the 60s, you know, that we were trying to sort out. Albert Eiler and people like that had an individual voices, Mm -hmm. you know, and I really wanted to know what they meant, what they were up to, you know. But some of their journeys were so personal, and I didn't realize that you can't copy that music. You have to feel like that to play that music. So with Miles, it still had these elements. It still had the element of swing. Even the the groove stuff swung, you know. Just so, you know, the things that I loved didn't have to go away, you know. I tried playing free, what we called free back Mm -hmm. then, but it seemed so random. It didn't seem like we were basing it on anything. It seemed like a house of cards. It's you know, very We were easy. making noises, yeah. you know, and reveling in them and being, feeling great about being free. And, you know, I could play piano and it didn't matter if I couldn't play it very well. I could be creative on it and it, we, it would be accepted as, oh, yeah, man. You know, but then I felt funny about that. I said, no, you got to have a foundation to come from to, yeah. to really, truly play this music, to truly speak together freely. So anyway, yeah, I like free jazz once in a while if it's really, really intentional. But it, yeah, if it's people very are listening to, to yeah. slip into complete abstraction, I think when you're playing that style of music, there, it is it is easy to do. It's nice when people listen to each other and then mm-hmm. try to create something <clears throat> together. I've done a lot of free stuff, like with Hans Teuber, for example. I gave you, I I gave Hans you guys, a, I gave you guys a CD of our duo. Oh, cool. Uh, Hans, you know, Hans and I will will take, Deuce. we'll start a piece <laughs> where we had. There's nothing written, you know. Mm-hmm. I might have a sort of a riff or something, or an inclination of some kind that I gesture on the bass, and Hans will create something. But the thing I love so much about Hans, the way when we play so-called free together. He is searching for a melody. He always comes up with a melody. So he'll anchor this thing. You know, before you know it, we'll have a song that came out of nothing. And I love that. I love that. And when you're developing something like that, are you recording it as you're developing it? Or is it something that you kind of work together and then come back and play the same thing again? I, I, you know, we, if we record something, we don't prepare you know something like that there are some things on on for example this record that are prepared there's changes there's there's some standards and stuff that are Mm -hmm. it's predictable what they're going to be as far as their form and that but the ones the free pieces which are delineated as both of us having written them Mm -hmm. there's nothing that happened in front there was no rehearsal for those Mm. you know so they're being created on the spot that that part of it is the freest part sure but it may have an inclination that locks it into a groove, it you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, is there a track in particular that you'd like to share with well, the listeners? I mean, you know, you guys are welcome to to play anything. I mean, it starts right off with a, an improvisation. Sure. And you know, the title for it is something that I asked Hans. I said, "What about how about when I'm in the sky?" You cool. know, and you know, because it's had this sort of feeling like you know, we're floating kind of on this thing, you know, and, and, I th- and then I thought, Hans said, well, you write the liner notes to the record, <laughs> and oh, man, you know, we've been through, <laughs> Hans and I met, and blah, 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 and, you know, and, and you know, we've done that, it's, it's in the other CDs, you know, we've done that before, so I decided to write a poem instead, wow. so I wrote a poem based on when I'm in the sky, cool. so I improvised the liner notes, sure. essentially, you know, 
so the whole thing is like has a certain vibe to it like none of it was really super prepared ahead of time but this is how we play after knowing each other for a long time so we understand each other's languages we understand each other's inclinations and what we may or may not do Mm -hmm. so it's not totally surprise but then within that there's the surprise very cool. Well, yeah. why don't we give that a listen? When, yeah, if you when like. I'm in the sky, is that correct? Yes. Cool. Well, the album's called Deuce. Deuce. All but right. The, but the first cut is, is that. All right. Here goes.
All right. Well, that was really cool. Um, we were kind of thinking of a couple other things here. We were starting to talk about uh, kind of what shapes music and, and what the importance of art is and what can affect that. And Jeff, you, you were having, you were kind of giving a couple little examples of things yeah, you've I've, heard over the years. And I have, I can, can I can of sort of summarize yeah. how sure. how the whole picture is for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And and this is not like something I'm trying to tell everybody that they need to be. Uh, this is a result of my own personal experiences. So I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to tell you, like I'm one of those veterans that says, "Here, you got to do it this way," you know, but. Uh, a long time ago, in, in the 80s, I was visiting my uncle, and I had just made my first record. And I was all full of myself. You know, here, man. He's a poet. He was a poet. And he looked at me, and he looked at the record, and he said, Okay, he said, now. He said, remember to take the fame and fortune out of it. And then you will have what you'll have left is the art. He said, always keep that first. You know, and at, and at the time, I didn't like what he said i didn't really like that i thought wait a minute you know i'm i'm just starting i'm just hey man this is gonna send me on my road you know i was a young guy with full of ambition and blah 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 and it was like he was chopping that off <laughs> but as time went on i realized that he was right uh i had i had some difficulties early on in my life with uh, certain substances and things that caused me to uh, have a bit of a delay in my development uh, as a not so much as a person uh, human but a, as a musician well and a human you know so in coming to terms with those things I realized that there were certain elements about what, what we'll call the game the game of music that created stresses in me that caused things to happen that, that made me want to go certain directions that were darker and I thought if I remove these things from my life they will no longer be a stressor, you know. All I care about is playing well, as best I can, and, you know, and, and, and having a nice, good gig. One gig led to another. You know, usually everything that I've ever done has happened by accident. Nothing was what I aimed for, you know. But over time, I, I started to realize that it's, it's true. Somebody asked me the other day, a, a, a young student asked me, what they should, how they should go about their life, uh, uh, what what next step should I make as an artist, is what is how it was put to me, hmm. and I said, I said the first thing that would be good for you to do is get rid of that word, get rid of that word artist. You know what you do. You're let somebody else call you that. If you're deserving of that, you know, to me, somebody calling you an artist is a very high compliment. But if you go around and hand out your card, it says artist. <laughs> That's kind of presumptuous. You know what I mean? So, that so let's an be, excellent point. You know what I mean? Don't worry about artists. You're an art. You're, sure, you're painting with music, you know, but you don't have to tell anybody that. They already know that. But if somewhere along the line, like some, some players who've been very deserving have gotten that, you know, people have called them an artist, a true artist. And that's somebody else's domain. That's that's a high compliment. But I don't want to go around with a T-shirt on that says artist. You know, I mean, I got to be have more humility than that. You know, it's a small thing that I do, and yet it's a large thing that I do. It's both. It's Zen. You know, 
I think social media has had a huge impact upon the amount people focus on the fame and fortune of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool that you don't use social media because it hasn't affected you. I think, you know, awesome. my, it, it, it also my place in life, you know, I'm 63, mm-hmm. so I'm not as much into promoting self-promoting. Uh, I'm more of in, in an area where my reputation carries me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily think that it's, it's good for a young person to shut off you know, them trying to, but there are ways to maneuver to try and play with people. You know, I did that too, Mm -hmm. you know, but I I wasn't, you know, like trying to do that in a, in an aggressive, obnoxious way, you know, or somebody would say, Hey, you should let, you should let Jeff sit in. If I was invited. Yeah. Okay. I'm there, you know, and hopefully I, a good showing and then occasionally a good gig. I remember one time I was playing in Oklahoma city and Wilton Felder came in who was tenor player with the crusaders i don't know if you remember which originally were the jazz crusaders and then they were called the crusaders (laughs) because they kind of became more of a pop band Mm -hmm. but wilton was trying to he wanted to go back and play jazz he wanted to play some standards so he was putting this band together and he came to where i was playing one night and he said hey you want to go on the road you know that kind of thing that was like yeah, and we did a few gigs. I didn't stay with him because his audiences wouldn't let him do that, man. He, I watched him work so hard to try and use My Funny Valentine or some standards and stuff like that to, to bridge the gap, and they were all wanted the, the Crusaders hits. Mm-hmm. you know. So it taught me, whoa, be careful what you, you know. Bobby Vinton, I worked with Bobby Vinton one time. He, he's blowing kisses after the gig. People are throwing flowers up on the, on the stage. <laughs> and, you know, he, he was in his 60s, I think, then. And as soon as the curtain closed, he turned around to the band. He said, the fucking hits. He said, make, make sure you love the fucking hits that you have because you're going to play them the rest of your fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> These were lessons. These were lessons to pay attention to. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, everywhere along the way, there was some good advice, and sometimes it wasn't even directed as advice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I watched Wilton try to try to do that, and he he couldn't do it. They wouldn't let him. His his audience wouldn't let him. Interesting stuff. Audience defines you, apparently. Well, it can, it mm. can. A lot of times, uh, I remember when Miles first became electric, everybody hated him. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there were a lot of comments being made it was he was tipping over the cart you know he was throwing jazz out the window throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak and he didn't seem to care well he knew what he wanted and yeah. i think he moved through it that way he saw how people were putting on concerts and playing for larger audiences and he saw how they were going about it and i think he created some of the most spectacular music that's on the planet earth you know when he decided to make that switch you know even though i still love the early stuff I I love everything from the earliest standards to pop. Yesterday I saw the Young Rascals on Ed Sullivan doing <laughs> "Lonely Too Long," you know. And I remember doing that when we were in high school. I was singing that song, you know. And I'm I'm singing along with the TV, and there's there's the Rascals, you know, 1960 something, you know. And a tear came to my eye, and I realized how much I loved that music too, you know. 
Yeah. Man, I, t- I want to take it all with me. Every experience that I've ever had, I want to bring it. I don't think you have a choice. No. And, <laughs> but, but there are, there are, you know, there are times when earlier, you know, when I first started playing jazz, you know, if you, if you talked about pop music endearingly, you know, it was kind of shunned at, you know, yeah. it was like not cool, man. Nah, that stuff, you know, uh, you know, like it's too watered down, too simple, you know, but these are, this is music that affected thousands and millions of people's yeah. lives, you yeah. know, and including my own, mm-hmm. you know, so, t- so to disavow that I didn't love some of these songs, I really love them. Yeah. You know, they make me feel good. In fact, after a jazz gig, sometimes I'll put Smokey Robinson on in the car just to sort of cleanse the palate, you know, just. I'll never admit what I put on in the car. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, I think we can, we can, have, we can have all that. And, and I see that now. I see more people crossing that bridge and more popular music becoming played as sort of jazz. And, and I think that's right. I think that's a mm-hmm. good thing. Yeah. Why not expand the repertoire, you know, of what's possible? Why not make some new standards, you know, like Herbie Hancock did with one of his records. He called it the new standard. Mm-hmm. You know, it led the way for a lot of people in that sense. Fusion yeah. in the 80s, led, in 70s and 80s, kind of led things into more of a melting pot type thing, you know. So. If I had to say two of my top five favorite bands are not jazz at all. Yeah. yeah. Influenced, probably. Yeah. You know, stuff like Earth, Wind, and Fire and everything. But Oh, yeah. But yeah. no, it's not really jazz. Oh, we went to those concerts. I mean, they were spectacular. Oh, yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire was unbelievable. Still are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that stuff was so cool. Parliament, mm-hmm. you know, George Clinton, all those people. We, You know, it was all there to experience. George Duke. Uh, oh, man, there's so much music that, you know, there's so much. And then now there's even more. I mean, it's I can't keep up with it, man. But... You know, so I try to bring it all. It's all in there. I might play a line, one line in a solo on a swing tune that has a vibe from that Rascal's song. Yeah. <laughs> I might play a lick that, that sounded like Felix, the way he would sing it, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that, you know. And This is one of the things that listeners can really get into if they're following a musician or a band or whatever. They can yeah. listen for these little things that kind of bring out what the, the musicians have Yeah really dug over their careers you can tell where people came from mm-hmm. yeah it's cool yeah how are we on time i think we are about at time actually yeah uh, thank you so much jeff for coming and hanging out with us and uh, yeah, this has really been a pleasure thanks for doing oh, this regaling thanks. us with wonderful stories oh well, thanks <laughs> you guys i mean you know that's it, it's a pleasure i mean any time that i can communicate especially with younger musicians, whatever whatever it does to hook you up with younger musicians, like you called me, I want to play with you. Yeah, and maybe oh, yeah. we're playing you know, together. Yeah, we have a gig, <laughs> and I, I love to mix that way. I you know I don't want to teach. I just want to play together. You know, and there'll be teaching going on on both from both sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. You'll be showing me. I'll be showing you. So it's it's not a competition. It's just yeah, Music. and and it's cool. I love seeing the 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 sparkle in like you guys eyes about what you do you know it's going to carry on some you know we're still going to have this maybe you know i hope so <laughs> change forms and stuff but it's basically the same thing yeah. yeah are there any uh last minute plugs for shows you're playing over the next couple of weeks that uh in september that you want people uh, to come check out i there's well there's a concert with marina albero 
uh, on Bainbridge Island, and I think that is September the eighth. It's a Sunday. It's a probably fantastic pianist. Yeah, from Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do some player. stuff with her out on Bainbridge at the Commons. They have a thing out there, oh, but yeah. but um, I'd have to be looking at my calendar to fill it in. Fair enough. Yeah, good kind of for you. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll be you know I'll be around with people. Yeah, and you and I are playing at Vito's on the. 29th yeah. yeah yeah i think oh, september yeah. also september yeah. yeah cool yeah yeah the last saturday i believe yeah, that's it yeah so yeah we'll be doing that one too there's a couple of them forward to that. <laughs> awesome all right well thanks again John. Uh, yeah. thanks, thanks you guys pleasure